you know, some people don't like it, but I'm just going to keep it real. Um, I don't know what Bernie Sanders is doing. I still love Bernie. I, I've, I went on Jimmy's show. He was nice enough to have me on to talk about the Flint story. Uh, you know, I agreed with him on a lot of things. I don't agree that Bernie is a sellout or a coward or any of these things, and I communicated that. You know, Bernie Sanders, whatever, decided to drop out of the race, didn't want to put people at jeopardy uh, by, you know, having more primaries and things like that. Uh, did tell his voters, you know, keep voting for him in states that will hold prim primaries to get the delegate count up. Um, did a live stream with Joe Biden that kind of, to me, looked like a hostage video. Uh, it looked very uncomfortable for Bernie. It was very uncomfortable just watching it because it's essentially like trying to pretend that you're all on the same team and believe in the same things when you're sitting there with a, a puppet for the banks, the oil companies, obviously, the health insurance industry. They're all corrupt. And Joe Biden has not moved an inch, an inch. I don't want to hear that he lower, he's willing to lower the age. Uh, yes, they are trying to remove Bernie from the ballot here in New York and cancel the primary, which is absurd. Uh, thanks for reminding me of that. Uh, I don't, you know, lowering the age of Medicare to 60 is not a concession. It's an insult. Okay, so you're going to lower the age to 60, which, by the way, helps your private health insurance donors helps the private health insurance industry because they don't want people 60 to 64 on their payrolls because those are, uh, by the data, uh, some of the most ill, in need of, con in need of services, uh, patients. So they're happy to get those on the public rolls. That's exactly what a public option would do. They would put the sickest people on the public rolls and keep the relatively healthy, uh, not needing a lot of services people on the private rolls. So, I'm supposed to dance jumping, naked jumping jacks to Joe Biden's lowering the age to 60. He says we're going to cancel student debt for people making lower than $125,000 that went to public schools. I don't, I don't have any reason to think Joe Biden's going to fight for that. I just don't. I don't. There's nothing in his record. And based on what we're starting to hear about who he's taking economic advice from, all of this looks like smoke and mirrors. Because you are not what you say you are, you are what your record is, and you are who you surround yourself with. And new reports are that Joe Biden is now taking economic advice from Larry Summers. Do you know who Larry Summers is? Former Treasury Secretary to Bill Clinton, former big bigwig at big banks did more damage to this economy. Uh, I think, who called him? Uh, was it Crystal or Sager, like the, the father of neoliberalism? Former, tre former Treasury Secretary Lawrence Summers is now advising Biden's campaign on economic policy, including its plan to revive the US economy after the coronavirus pandemic, according to five people. And by the way, Biden's campaign leaked this. This isn't some grand investigative piece. They're leaking what they want people to know. And he's leaking it because he wants the Wall Street banks to know, hey, nothing's going to fundamentally change here, as he already told Wall Street donors. The Obama and Clinton administration veteran woe will likely roll progressives who view his past work on the 2009 recovery as too favorable to big banks. Hey, let's go a little further than the 2009 recovery. Let's go to his love for things like NAFTA. Here's Larry Summers on NAFTA, which decimated uh, 
decimated so much of America, including many of you that are watching. Tra Larry Summers, trade is very complicated. NAFTA has proved to be more important than people supposed at the time, given events in Mexico. I believe Mexico would be a very different country, one much less congenial to American interests without NAFTA. Post-NAFTA, the Uruguay round was completed, the largest tax cut in the history of planet Earth. Oh, that tax cut really helped the workers who lost their jobs because of NAFTA and had their jobs and their plants closed down and their storefronts boarded up. Thank you for that tax cut, Larry. The WTO became complete when China became a member, talking about permanent trade relations with China, which, by the way, is why we don't make anything in America anymore, why we are so dramatically in, in need of masks and equipment and all this stuff, PPE, masks, ventilators from China, because of permanent trade relations with China, because of NAFTA that Lawrence Summers cheerlead along The WTO became complete when China became a member. For the first time, special selected trade benefits were given to a number of the most promising Af African reforming countries. So it was a period that saw progress and it was a period that saw resistance, some regress. Oh, just some regress, like the total deindustrialization of the pretty much a seven to eight state region of America. The administration held the line against a number of protectionist suggestions that seem to have gained greater currency recently. This is who? The, the, you know, the, the champion, the heroes of NAFTA is who Joe Biden is taking economic advice. And, and by the way, economic advice, he's taking his P's and Q's. This is not advice. His economic policy, if this is who he's taking advice from, why should we think that he's not going to appoint Larry Summers or Jamie, Ru Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan or any one of these Wall Street heroes as his Treasury Secretary, as his economic advisors, as his Labor Secretary? Why should we think anything fundamentally will change from the Trump administration economically if Biden is president? Well, oh, will he raise taxes half a percent? on wealthy people and make that look like some grand victory for the worker bees of America. He wants to surround himself with Larry Summers. Here's some more about Larry Summers. Like almost every elite Democrat, Larry Summers is so enamored, this is from The Intercept, so enamored of corporate globalization that he'll say just about anything in its defense, even unfairly trash his own political party. Summers, who was Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton and head of Obama's National Economic, Economy Council, recently declaimed that one of our major parties, i.e. the Democrats, is opposed to essentially all trade agreements. That's maddeningly false in two ways. First, the president strongly supports the Trans-Pacific Partnership. He's a Democrat. The Senate Finance Committee just approved its fast-track bill, with a majority of Democratic senators voting for it. Second, while the base of the Democratic Party does strongly oppose the TPP and opposed NAFTA in the early 1990s, it's completely untrue that it opposes any trade agreements. One of the main slogans of the opposition to the, to the version of NAFTA that was enacted in 1994 was, not this NAFTA. Regarding the TPP, Dean Baker, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research, says, quote, if we had a trade deal that focused on improving the living standards of the typical worker, it would get plenty of support from Democrats. So Lawrence Summers is a cheerleader for deindustrialization. Lawrence Summers is a cheerleader.
for an ec- taking economic machetes to cities and communities and towns that used to be the economic lifeblood of America. Lawrence Summers, he's, you think he's ever spent that much time in deindustrialized, deindustrialized cities in Milwaukee, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Flint, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Scranton, this goes on. You think he spent that much time there? You think he gives a damn? No. He's invited to the cocktail parties. He's invited to the, the Biden's fundraisers, both virtual and when everybody could safely get together. These people creating economic policy and that Joe Biden is apparently surrounding himself with, they don't give a damn. They look at things as a balance sheet. They don't care. And when he says there was some small regress, some small downfalls of things like NAFTA and those things. And yet Bernie Sanders is playing footsie with Joe Biden. And I know some people get triggered when you criticize Bernie. And I'm certainly not going Jimmy Dore's route. I think he's lost his mind, to be honest with you. I mean, I went on a show and I agree with him on a lot of things. I think Bernie shouldn't have voted for uh, this bailout. I think Bernie should have tried to organize against it. Maybe he is tired after two presidential runs. You know, he's a human being. We can't, you know, as progressives, we shouldn't just sit here and bow down to everybody. Uh, So I'll criticize Bernie when I have to criticize Bernie. I still like him. I still think there would be no awoke progressive movement right now without Bernie Sanders. There was no progressive movement in 2015 when he first ran. It was dormant, basically. So I'm not abandoning Bernie Sanders. I still like him, but even our heroes need to be pressured. And I don't particularly know if you wanted to endorse Biden because you think Trump is a unique threat and even having someone like Biden is better than Trump. Okay. But there's a way of doing it. There's a strategic way of doing it. There is an effective way of doing it. There's a way of using leverage. There's a way of using your movement as a threat where they actually have to give up real things. Not just because you're getting pressured from all the media outlets and all and Nancy and Chuck and all these people. Bernie, you're putting people at risk by going on. Bernie Sanders could have simply said, Bernie Sanders could have simply said, listen, I, I'm going to support Biden and do everything I can, but, you know, Joe's got to convince. Joe's got to convince millions of young people around this country. Joe's got to convince millions of Latinos around this country. Joe's going to have to do the work, and it, doesn't, it won't come with words. It will come with actions. I can't excite young people and Latinos and working people for Joe Biden. He has to do that, and frankly... He's excited a lot of voters over the age of 50. That's how he beat me. But he's done a pretty terrible job based on what he's offering of making the case to young people, of making the case to Latinos. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not making demands. My movement is not just me. It's millions of people, and I'm not going to make demands for them. And frankly, if Joe Biden doesn't offer progressives something real, he could very well lose, and he will lose, most likely. Bernie could have done all that. When he has Joe Biden on a live stream, could have very easily said, you know, Joe, we have some disagreements here. I think that this current, uh, current coronavirus uh, a- epidemic, the pandemic and the epidemic might be specifically about a deadly uh, virus going around, 
but the healthcare pandemic was already going on for the last 20, 30 years. And, and this notion, by the way, that, that, that Bernie has that I, I think he's been convinced that if he is critical or he does play hardball with Joe Biden, that he's going to be blamed for Joe Biden's loss or that he's going to hurt Joe Biden and, and it will hurt Joe Biden. Um, I mean, Joe Biden at this point is doing worse than Hillary Clinton was in 2016. This is from the New York Times. Biden leads Trump in key states, but Hillary led by more. While polling shows Joe Biden narrowly, again, narrowly ahead in states like Michigan, things looked considerably rosier for Hillary Clinton in many swing states at this point in 2016. So he's off of Hillary Clinton's pace from 2016, and she lost those states. He can't construct full sentences. Again, not trying to be a jerk, but he can't construct full sentences. He can't get through four-minute interviews without losing his train of thought or if he doesn't have his notes right in front of him. He's offering no big idea. His ideas for, uh, in relation to the coronavirus, are basically saying Trump should have acted faster. Yeah, thank you, Rocket. What a, what a genius. Trump should have done X, Y, and Z. But he's not offering any big vision to make the economy work again for working people. Because once we all, once, once you know, the regulations are off and things get back to quasi-normal, this economy is going to be affected for the next decade, maybe even longer. Joe Biden hasn't presented a damn idea for how to make small businesses whole, for how to give people who have been laid off real work back. Because a lot of these companies are not going to hire all their workers back at their same salaries and benefits. It's the same thing as the 2008 economic crash. Companies started, took back less people and started doing more with less because the, the, corporate, the government that gave them bailouts didn't have any strings attached, including how much a, a, a basic limit on overhead that you have to have. It's going to be the same thing. Joe Biden isn't offering any real reforms in healthcare. You know what their reforms are for this coronavirus pandemic? Uh, stop sabotaging Obamacare, stop suing based on Obamacare, and make Obamacare stronger. Well, how is it, how is it that in a pandemic, when over 20 million people have lost their jobs, i.e. their employer-based healthcare system, which the rest of the world, by the way, is laughing at us. They're laughing at us. What, what are those crazy Americans doing? It's a pandemic. Nobody could work. People are losing health care and the government's not providing it. Europe is Europe. European countries are paying for 80 to 85 percent of payrolls to keep employees on the payroll. Because they're I mean, there's corruption all over the globe, but at least in Europe, they actually care about whether workers could breathe, live and eat. That's what, that's what we should have been doing from the start. The first thing should have been a moratorium on mortgages, on rent, on utilities, a basic pause on the economy. Landlords don't get hurt because their mortgages and their, their rents are, are uh, frozen. Tenants don't get hurt because their rent or mortgages are frozen and utilities are frozen. And the government, which is clearly showing that they could print money, covers the bills. You can't go on indefinitely like that, but they certainly could have gone on for six months like that. And our revolution now, which, you know, 
is technically separate from Bernie, but obviously uh, they're doing things based on what Bernie wants. A group Bernie Sanders founded is pushing to win him enough delegates to influence the Democrats' platform. Uh, Our Revolution, an organization that was created in the wake of Sanders' first presidential run, has been pushing its grassroots army to persuade voters to back him in states that have yet to hold their primaries. The goal is to make sure Sanders wins enough delegates to push for key reforms in the Democratic platform. I love Our Revolution. I love Nina Turner, who was the president. I, I love Bernie Sanders. But we've done this already. We have played this hand already. We did this in 2016. I'm sorry. I love Josh Fox, who was on the Democratic Party platform. There was a lot of great progressives on the Democratic Party platform. I'm not criticizing them. But the Democratic Party platform is meaningless. It doesn't matter what they put on the platform. It doesn't even matter if you get them to put Medicare for all on the platform. Because the donors will allow those things to be put in writing, but the donors will never allow legislation to pass to put those things into practice. So, you know, it's nice for Bernie to go into the convention with all the delegates he can get, but to influence the platform that if Joe Biden's elected, he's going to surround himself with Larry Summers and possibly J.B. Dimon and all the usual neoliberal scum suck, you know, suspects. That's our hand right now. We're going to try and get delegates to influence the platform. I'm not saying Bernie Sanders should like go scorched earth and say, hey, I'm sitting it out. Good luck, Joe. And, and urge his supporters not to vote. I'm not saying that. But God, don't just bend over and, and give them everything. And he's showing you that he's not serious. Joe Biden is literally putting his thumb in your face, Bernie Sanders. I don't know why people are so triggered when you just tell the truth. I think, I think Jimmy and others are going past the line. I think it's absurd to call him a coward and, and, a, and a sellout and all these things. Like Jimmy Dore would not have a show and would not have the success he has without the Bernie Sanders movement. Ditto for a lot of other people. So I, I don't think we should be extreme. I still love Bernie. But at a certain point, you're literally working with the enemy here. If you think Donald Trump is 10 times worse... I, can, I, I understand, and I, I agree that Donald Trump is worse. I do think Donald Trump is worse than even the corporate Democrats. But what I don't think is it's an effective strategy to actually get progressive change to just give up, surrender, and give Donald Trump – and give the Democrats whatever the hell they want because then they never actually do anything for us. Then all they do is gaslight you. Then when you surrender – credit you and give you kudos, all of a sudden the media loves Bernie Sanders. All of a sudden the media loves Bernie Sanders. He's a hero once he dropped out and endorsed Bernie Sanders. And then if Joe Biden wins, they're never going to they're never going to give Bernie Bernie Sanders a platform again. This is the time to play hardball. This is the time to say to Joe Biden, our vote is not guaranteed. This is the time to say to Joe Biden, "Hey, there's a reason Latinos and young people voted for me." It's up to you. It's up to you, Nancy Pelosi. It's up to you, Chuck Schumer. It's up to all you people. You got to figure out. You got to offer them hope. You got to offer them excitement. You got to offer them a reason to think it's worth going out there to vote for you over Donald Trump or somebody else. 
I don't see it. I don't see it. How come Joe Biden wasn't asked on that live stream by Bernie, what do you think about a rent strike? How come Joe Biden wasn't asked, what do you think about temporary uh, across the board Medicare for all until this is over? How come uh, Bernie hasn't brought up to, to uh, Jimmy, um, Joe Biden, uh, shouldn't we like freeze mortgages and all these things? How come Bernie didn't say in uh, that live stream, what are we doing here with all this phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four? Bills, now the squad is apparently uh, reportedly, you know, starting to play some hardball with the Democratic Party. Squad members press House leadership for phase four relief timeline. Listen, we don't have the numbers that the Tea Party has, but we do have a little bit of numbers. Why do we keep going in phases? Why is it even, why is there a delay right now to get money to people? Right? The most important thing is there needs to be immediate, not a one-time payment that people can't get, immediate, recurring, call it what you want, UBI or just a debit card, which Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib has proposed in legislation, recurring, refillable money to working-class Americans until they get their jobs back, period. There needs to be universal health care, period. Related to coronavirus, it should be for everything. I mean, I don't understand why there's not demands right now. Frankly, there should be a rent strike. Nobody should be paying rent on May 1st, period. Bernie hasn't led that. AOC hasn't led that. Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley. Ilhan Omar, Ro Khanna, Tulsi Gabbard shouldn't have paid rent a month ago. Certainly shouldn't pay rent May 1st. They're going to kick everybody out of their apartments or homes and throw them out into the street during a, during a pandemic? I'd like to see. By the way, that $1,200 that they're giving you is taxed. I mean, for all Bernie and Sanders has done, I'm talking about tactics here. I don't even have a problem with him endorsing Joe Biden. He said he was going to endorse the Democratic nominee. We could, we could squabble over that. But there is no strategy here. It's just surrender, hand it over. And because you're doing it that way, he feels so cocky, so arrogant, and so frankly carefree to say, oh, great. Uh, Larry Summers, come on down. Neera Tandon, come on down. I'm sure Rahm Emanuel will be advising him pretty soon. These people are not much different than Steve Mnuchin. Steve Mnuchin. They're not different than uh, you know, the people supporting Trump. They're just not. On an economic basis, they're all in one club, and that's club oligarchy. That's club United Corporations of America. I've heard differently from reporting that it is taxed. Somebody who just said that. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. They knowingly shut down whistleblowers. They knowingly covered up a deadly water Legionella outbreak, a bacterial outbreak. And we just got audio, which we played some of yesterday, that the governor's right-hand man in 2017, and it's not just with one family, went into Flint and tried to pay off very loud, 
publicly loud residents who were getting media attention. One resident in particular got uh, removed from a town hall after going off at state and city officials. He got removed, and then a few weeks later, Governor Snyder's top advisor, who called himself Snyder's best friend, his college roommate, their best friends, is in their living room offering state-funded medical treatment for this man who was having seizures, severe cognitive loss, had to call his wife while he was driving because he forgot how to get to the places he normally would get, forgot how to drive home, where, he, where his home was. Came to his living room, we obtained the audio, and just lied and manipulated them. Let's show you one. If we were able, you know, one of the things I found, not being a government guy, you call something a pilot, and all of a sudden you can get things done that you couldn't get done before. And so my, my question is, if we, if we said, look, we don't know the answer, but because we don't know, um, you know, we're willing to go down this path. We ask for a waiver, we call it a pilot, we say, find $5,000, I mean, and, um, and, and we get approval for that to happen. Is there a way to determine as you start these treatments, are they telling you that, you know, there's a way to determine if it's working or not? So we'll call it a pilot. It was a lot more than $5,000 that they paid for. And they told them, if you start feeling better, if your blood lead levels go down, because the treatment was called chelation, which extracts lead from your body, if it works for you, we're gonna make it available for other sick Flint residents. As Adam and his then wife reported to them that it's working, his seizures are getting better, his cognitive functioning is getting better, nothing. They gave him the runaround. They told them at that meeting, but you can't talk about this. You can't go to the media and you can't tell people that Adam's treatment is being paid for by the state. Yet this same advisor who we look, we got, we have the text messages, we have the emails to show it was being paid for by the state. Well, he went around telling other people, I'm a philanthropist. When he told you that he was paying for Adam's treatment, did he say anything else? Why is he doing that? Just, uh, not really, just, you know, that he was paying it out of his own pocket and uh, trying to help him out. And I thought, well, I, you know, I don't know what the, you know, what all that is, but that's awful generous of you because I heard that, you know, the treatments were, you know, pretty expensive. Did you believe uh, them? But it was uh, relative to that uh, chelating treatment. Chelation. Uh, and I, as I said, I was under the assumption that it was the whole family. And uh, then his wife told me that, no, it was never the whole family. It was just her husband. Right. And uh, so I don't know how that come, you know, and all of that, but he made a lot of, you know, uh, appearances in different places, and you know, he was he was pretty convincing of all the things that were going on. Anyway, did you believe him when he told you he was paying for it? Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And uh, uh, you know, uh, I I had no idea what you know Richard Baird was being paid, you know, through by the governor, but I guess it was a, a considerable amount of money that was uh, being transferred to him to be here. Would it surprise? Uh, would it surprise you if the state was paying for it, and he told the family, "Don't tell anyone the state was paying for it." Oh no! I mean, would it surprise me? Nothing would surprise me at this, you know, point in time because I know that you know, with my 
things that we talked about wasn't trying to, you know, bring some kind of resolution or solution to, you know, how we're going to, you know, get rid of this crap out of these people's houses and out of their, you know, out of their bodies. And did he give, did did he give you the impression when you met that he has a lot of, uh, a lot of pull, a lot of authority? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I, I was, I've been told by, you know, several colleague friends of mine that, you know, if you were talking to him, you were talking to Snyder. So there was nobody closer, higher up the ladder in the chain than uh, Richard Baird when it comes to, uh, uh, and that's when, you know, in, in our conversation, he, you know, he shared with me that, you know, him and uh, uh, the governor had uh, been college roommates and um, had, you know, a long, long-term established uh, friendship and business friendship. Folks. This is called a good old-fashioned American payoff. What, what we broke here is the governor of Michigan, you know, it's for the courts to decide whether he was knowingly or not. His, his top person is going around Flint paying off residents not to talk and then going to tell other residents, oh, I'm paying for treatment out of my own personal philanthropy. This is this is mafia level stuff, folks. If if they would have actually had a pilot program, a pilot program is you know you put like ten families on it, and you monitor their progress, whatever the treatment is, and if it's getting better, you expand it to other people. That's what a pilot program is. This was we got to shut these people up because they're getting media attention. There's other, there's other residents that are on the record with us that he offered them expanded Medicaid if they would quiet down and tow the administration's line. He offered new water heaters, new interior plumbing. All the plumbing was damaged for the river. New everything. New water heater, new shower, new everything. We're supposed to believe Governor Steiner didn't know that his top advisor was going around doing this stuff. By the way, Adam Murphy and Christina Murphy are on the record with us that Rich Baird, because some of the audio got cut off, Rich Baird told them, I'm going to go back and tell the governor about this, about this pilot program. But Rich Baird, by the way, this audio that we've had, Democrat Attorney General Dana Nessel, who Bernie had on his live stream last night, go figure, they've had this since September since September, they've had this. And they've known about what happened with the Murphys and first talked to the Murphys in July of 2019. There's crimes being committed on audio here. Well, if Governor Snyder didn't know, is there no criminal, is there no criminal crime for criminal negligence, if you don't know what your top advisors and your top officials are doing? You know, is this Chris Christie? Well, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on in the bridge. If you're the governor, this isn't like a low-level intern. This is your top advisor. By all accounts, your right-hand man. The media had reported his point person on the Flint water crisis. You didn't know that he was meeting with Flint residents and making these private deals? with strings attached? You didn't know 
that your environmental lawyer was complaining about the water? Governor Snyder didn't know about this email, October 17th, 2014, from, uh, from Susan Bohm in the health department and epidemiologists. I just received a call from the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality as chief of drinking water, chief of the drinking water office. The chief of the drinking water office called. By the way, this was three days after that environmental lawyer sounded the alarm, we need to switch back to, the, to Detroit. I just received a call from the Genesee County Health Department, Flint is part of Genesee County, about the Legionnaire outbreak in Flint. Legionnaire is a deadly water outbreak. Snyder says he had, didn't know about Legionella until January 2016. This is October 17th, 2014. It's not made directly to Snyder, but this is the head of the drinking water office in the environmental department. They say, the, the, uh, pers the head of the drinking water office says, she's concerned that we were gonna make an announcement imminently. Yeah, why warn people that they're drinking deadly water imminently? She, she asked whether Genesee had the capability to test water. I replied that we've been working with Genesee County to coordinate. What she did share with me was interesting that there have been numerous complaints about the Flint water that the governor's office had been involved and that any announcement by public health about the quality of the water would certainly, quote, inflame the situation. The governor's office had been involved. Inflame the situation. Hey, you know what was on November 4th, 2014? Two weeks after this? Snyder's re-election. The Attorney General of Michigan has had all of this information for over a year. She's had the audio that we broke since September. The statute of limitations is in six hours. Nothing. In fact, the Attorney General's office put out a statement after we broke our story for Vice Basically, you know, trying to confuse people. Oh, you know, there's a misconception that the statute of limitations, uh, we can't file charges past Saturday. Uh, they are the ones, I told you this yesterday, they are the ones in a meeting with Flint residents in June of 2019 that told Flint residents we are up against the statute of limitations in nine months, which is tomorrow. They told residents that. Now, oh no, there's, there's, you know, we could file charges whenever. They could, charge, they could charge involuntary manslaughter. Do people actually think they're gonna charge Governor Snyder with involuntary manslaughter? They could charge that later. But the deadline for misconduct in office, which several state officials were charged with that and then had their charges dropped by this current attorney general with no real explanation. That's the, that's the crazy part about this. The former prosecutors, the former attorney general had built a case against 15 state defendants. Two of the top state officials, two people in Snyder's conference call, uh, in Snyder's cabinet, were charged with involuntary manslaughter. They had year-long pretrials. Pretrials usually very quick. This was a year, pretrials. Two judges decided to cross it over, to rule that there's enough evidence to send them to a jury trial. So by all accounts, the prosecutors, the investigators have been successful. 
they had binded these defendants over to face a jury trial. One of the judge called Nick Lyon, the head of the health department, who was binded over to face jury trial, corrupt. This attorney general comes in, a Democrat. She fires the lead prosecutor, fires the lead investigator, doesn't even really do any debrief with any of them to find out what is it that they have or invest. Could you, could you walk me through your investigation? And then she drops all the charges. And her explanation is, well, their case, their case was bad. Well, how was their case so bad if they successfully binded, you know, got two of the, top, the two top defendants over to face a jury trial, which hadn't started yet? How bad could it be?